Hey, Cracked fans. With the summer months just around the corner, we know all of you are beginning to think about how you can best maximize your chances to improve your game with the warm weather. Well, thankfully, we here at Cracked Rackets are so excited to tell all of you about the 254 Tennis Camp happening this summer at Baylor University. Now, over the course of three weeks in June, starting June 12th through the 16th and ending June 26th through the 30th, you'll have the opportunity to learn from from some of the best coaches in the business in an all-encompassing tennis experience. You'll have the opportunity to improve each and every part of your game, whether that be on the singles court, whether that be on the doubles court, through drilling, through point play, match play as well. You'll also, of course, receive a free t-shirt for participating in the camp, but also have the chance to see yourself broadcasted as our Crack Rackets team will be providing coverage of the final day each week at this 254 tennis camp. Again, you'll have the opportunity to learn from some of the best coaches in the business. I promise Coach Michael Woodson and the Baylor team going to make it an extraordinarily enjoyable time. How can you get signed up today? Well, you can learn more information by visiting the Baylor website by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp. Again, that's baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp to sign up today. Now, this camp open to any and all entrants, but limited only by age, number, grade level, and or gender. Again, you can learn more about this camp by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp today. Don't miss out, folks. Going to be three very exciting, fun weeks of tennis down at Baylor University. Be sure to sign up for the 254 Tennis Camp happening at Baylor today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, May 31st. While the men's quarterfinals may have stolen the headlines on day 10 of the 2022 French Open, there has been plenty of chaos for us to discuss in the women's singles draw at the year's second Grand Slam. Of course, we may have four first-time Slam semifinalists for the second consecutive year in Paris. Now, it would take an Iga Sviantec up Set by Jessica Pagula, but you look at the bottom half of the draw. Coco Goff, Martina Trevisan, two first-time semifinalists on today's show. I want to discuss how each of them have gotten to this point of the tournament. You look for Coco Goff. She's yet to drop a set on her way to the semifinals, and while the young American has certainly had plenty of signature victories throughout her young career, she's yet to earn a signature victory at this 2022 French Open, yet steadily has gotten better and better in each of her matches and has used her physicality, her ability to win free points with her first serve to have tremendous success at this event. Certainly, you look at the draw. It's broken her way, and if you're listing ideal semifinal opponents, Martina Trevisan, probably right near the top of the list in terms of who Goff could have drawn up as a potential semifinalist when the draw came out. But again, despite the lack of signature victories, Coco Goff 
is playing the best tennis of her career. That's why she finds herself in the first semifinal of her career and certainly will have the opportunity to make her first final on Thursday. Of course, on the flip side of that draw, you look for Martina Trevisan. The lefties made the quarterfinals of the French Open before, but to see her play at this level for five consecutive matches, to see her physicality, the heaviness and depth of her forehand, her ability to hit her spots, ultimately break down a very much informed Leila Fernandez, at least in that second set. I know physically Fernandez, unfortunately, was dealing with an injury, sort of went away there at the start of the third, but credit to Trevisan. She did not go away, and now she finds herself one match away from a Grand Slam final. She finds herself at a new career high. Live ranking has filled in to the Tamara Zidanzik role beautifully at this 2022 French Open as your surprise semifinalist. I want to talk about her run to the semifinals as well. And then, of course, we got to talk about the top half of the draw. Iga Sviantek is still your prohibitive favorite to capture the title, despite the fact that Sviantek dropped her first set in quite a bit of time in her round of 16 match against Jung Chin Wen. Now, of course, Sviantek ultimately able to advance, dropped just two games in sets number two and three, has now advanced her winning streak to 32 consecutive wins, adjoining elite of elite company. Again, now matching Justine Ennin as one of the highest numbers. I believe the highest number of the 21st century. I mean, look, you could tell the pressure was getting to Sviantek a bit in that round of 16 match. At the same time, that pressure was being put on her on the court by Jung Chin Wen, who continued to be relentless with her aggression, who moved exceptionally well and earned herself additional opportunities in that first set. Now, ultimately, Sviantek steadied the ship, and that's certainly the story I want to explore here on today's podcast. But we can talk about if someone can challenge Iga Sviantek because certainly we saw that possibility emerge in her round of 16 match. And you look at the other players still alive in the top half of the draw, bastions of consistency in JPEG, Jessica Pagula into another Grand Slam quarterfinal, her third quarterfinal in the past six slams. I mean, again, she is now top three in the points race in this 2022 WTA season. I want to talk about why well, I want to talk about her movement. I did not realize JPEG was this fluid of a mover on these red clay courts. It certainly feels like a new development, and we'll talk about how that development has helped her survive in this event. Of course, you could argue the most dominant player to date. It's not Sviantek. It's not Goff. It might be Daria Kasatkina, who, again, relentless consistency really since the tour resumed play in August 2020. And of course, she's a quarterfinalist at the French Open before, has cracked the top 10 of the WTA rankings, but there's a difference between 2022 Daria Kasatkina and 2018 Kasatkina. I want to talk about, A, how well she's moving physically, the level she's hit, and just, again, her ability to move the ball around the court and just the floor she brings, match in, match out, why that puts her in a position now to be at this stage of a tournament where we've seen high variance. Players like Sabalenka go down swinging and just go through a cold streak. And, you know, again, the Paula Bedosa, Sakharis of the world, not physically able to, Conteve is able to be where they need to be to advance in this tournament. Kasatkina has been able to do that. Kudermatova has been able to do that. I want to discuss their play. And then again, haven't really reflected on all of the chaos and talked big picture where that leaves us on the WTA Tour. That's something I can certainly explore uh, or will ultimately end up exploring at the end of today's show. And I'll throw in some predictions, throw in my thoughts for how I expect things to move forward throughout the course of the show as well. But of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you. And if you're looking 
waiting for a men's singles update. Tune into part one of our two mini break Tuesdays here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, we appreciate all of you who continue to tune in and we look at our numbers month in, month out again. We always expect a grand slam boost. That's when the majority of fans are tuned in. But sincerely, month after month, week after week, day after day, uh, the numbers continue to look better. And that's a testament to all of you. We're so grateful you continue to tune in, tolerate all of our nonsense here as we try to provide you with the coverage we know tennis fans everywhere deserve. There's so much happening. It's not just the Grand Slam, of course. There are challenger events, ITF events, college events, junior events consistently happening week in, week out. And we try to provide coverage of all that for all of you listeners so you can remain the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. Of course, the reason we're able to do that here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point. And I say this each and every podcast. I mean this each and every time I do. You will not find a location with better equipment at better prices than with our friends at Tennis Point. You can find it all in the palm of your hands. Tennis-point.com. When you go check out the gear, whether it be the clothing, the shoes, the rackets, the strings, update your equipment. Make sure you have what you need to play your best tennis this summer. Why can't you peak? I don't care if you're 16, 26, 36, 46, 56, hell, 66, 76. It's never too late to play the best tennis of your career. The re- the way you'll be able to do that is by properly equipping yourself, which you can do with our friends at Tennis Point. You go to tennis-point.com today. Eventually, you're going to purchase some goods. When you do, use our promo code CR15. Not only will let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, let's get into the women's singles draw at the 2022 French Open. And the place I want to start is with semifinalist Coco Goff, who we've seen do this in doubles, but reaches her first singles semifinal at a slam in her career. And let's keep in mind, Coco Goff turned 18 in March. She's now reached multiple Grand Slam quarterfinals, now has reached a Grand Slam semifinal all before turning 19 years old. She's won multiple WT, I don't know if multiple, excuse me, but she's won a WTA titles. No, it is multiple WTA titles. Stick to your guns, Alex. And Lynn's in Parma 2019-2021. She's done it on multiple surfaces. And you look for her throughout the course of her career. She's had success on multiple surfaces as well. 47 and 29 on hard courts in her career. That's a 62% win percentage. Considering again, the majority of those matches have been played before the age of 18. Your 60% win percentage club, that's we're talking Justine Ennins, Kim Kleisters of the world. Not quite the Serena Sharapova tier, not even close to the Hingis or the Sellis tier. But obviously Ennin and Kleisters went on to Hall of Fame careers. Of course, you look for her 10 and 3 on grass courts in her career, obviously success at Wimbledon already. The big number that you may not be aware of, Coco Goff, 28 and 10 in her career on clay courts. That's a 74% win percentage in just about 40 matches played. And of course, we saw her reach the quarterfinals overall on Garros last year. She beat an own Jabour on her way to that quarterfinal before getting knocked out by eventual champion Barbara Krachikova. You look for her here at this year's role on Garros. Does she have a signature victory? Has she played even a top 20 seed? No, she has not. But she also hasn't dropped the set 
in victories over a qualifier in Marina, over a Van Utvenk, a Kanepi, a Mertens, a Sloane Stevens, who played exceptional tennis in her round of 16 victory to knock off Jill Teichman. Yes, the draw has broken out beautifully for Coco Goff, but she's taken advantage of, uh, of that draw. And for someone who has had a bunch of tough draws throughout the course of this clay court season, you look for uh, Coco Goff. She loses first round Stutt- uh, Stuttgart to Daria Kasatkina. Of course, Kasatkina still alive at the 2022 French Open. She makes the round of 16 in Madrid. Good wins over Putenceva and Shmladova. Knocked out 4-4 four and four by Simona Halep. Again, I don't think any of us think that's a bad loss, particularly given at the time it felt like Simona Halep was a top five contender to win the French Open title. Of course, she goes in Rome, wins over Kerber, over Brangle, before getting knocked out in the round of 16 by the number four seed in Maria Sakkari. Now, again, have Sakkari and Halep both gotten eliminated early at this 2022 French Open? Yes, but we also both know the level both of those players, uh, we both know, we all know, excuse me, I assume, but we both, I'm talking to you directly, listener, uh, know how capable Halep and Sakkari are on a match-by-match basis. I don't think any of us would categorize those as bad losses. Just look at her last five losses on clay courts for Coco Goff. Sakkari, Halep, Kasatkina, Krejcikova at last year's French Open, she won the damn thing. Iga Sviantek in Rome last year. Sviantek goes on to win the damn thing. I mean, come on now. Like, Coco Goff is a top 15, maybe even a top 10 player when it comes to clay court tennis. And you look for Coco Goff, what's so exceptional for her on this surface? Well, first of all, you look for Coco Goff, career average, 43.2% win percentage in terms of return points won on a match-in, match-out basis. Now, you look at the WTA average this season in terms of percentage of return points won. uh, That number for most players, uh, excuse me, that number for this season, I apologize, I had the wrong number up. We'll talk through it. The return points won average, 44.5. So in general, Coco Goff is outside the top 25 in terms of return points won on a surface-by-surface basis. In terms of clay court tennis, Coco Goff, 46.3% win percentage on her return points. That obviously is above the WTA Tour level average, which here in 2022 is 45.1%. Now you look for Coco Goff, her serving numbers hold consistent across surfaces, and she's a top 25 server overall right now on the WTA Tour. You look for Coco Goff in terms of, again, her ranking here this season. Goff currently ranking 25th exactly, but she is top 25 as a server this season. Now, again, when you're a top 25 player in both hold and break percentage return points one, as we talk about on this show quite frequently, you're one of 12, 13 players who are doing that in any given season at most. Most of the time, you're one of nine or 10 players who are doing that in any given season. So the numbers would indicate on clay courts, Coco Goff is, you know, again, one of the 10 to 12 best players on the WTA Tour. And if you don't have an overwhelming weapon or can't match her physicality, simply put, you're just not going to beat her uh, on a clay court. The results over the past two years now show us that about a player who's only 18 years old. And when you look at the mechanics of her 7-5-6-2 victory over Sloane Stevens or even her 6-4-6 level win over Mertens in the round of 16, it's how she wore them down physically in the first set and then used that physicality 
and changed her game plan, changed her tactics to take the ball a little bit earlier, or was continue to create, be able to create free points for herself while the serving uh, performance of her opponents began to diminish. I mean, you look for Coco Goff again, seven five six two win over Sloane Stevens. Uh, Goff throughout the course of the match fights off six of the nine break points that she faces. She hits eighteen winners against twenty three unforced errors. She was just you know wins. Uh, 85% of her second serve return points. But of course, Sloane Stevens kind of abandoned doing too much with the first serve, was rolling it in. Goff did an excellent job of attacking that. Coco Goff uh, ultimately uh, wins, I believe it's six. What, what's the final number? I don't want to get this incorrect. You look in terms of, again, total return points. One, yeah, 54% of her receiving points against Sloane Stevens. She was the one dictating the, uh, the pace of play. She was the one dictating the direction of play. And on this slower serve, surface, the bigger forehand backswing of Coco Goff, it's just a little bit harder to expose. Again, Stevens is rolling in first serves. Goff has plenty of time to get into that forehand backswing. Take a big cut. There's a reason she's such an exceptional doubles player. It's because she's so precise and generates such great depth on her return of serve. I mean, She's also better on the run with the forehand on this slower surface. First of all, she moves exceptionally well. She's a top five mover on clay on the WTA tours, a player who slides into her shots. So fluid, one of the rare players who can change direction comfortably in both the men's or women's game and is just able to generate power and depth and pace in the outer thirds uh, because of her athleticism, because of her fluidity. And again, she's only 18 years old. Just wait as she continues to get stronger, how much better that movement can look. It'll look a lot like, you know, again, uh, I, I think it'll look a lot like a player. I'm trying to think of a clay court player who's physical. I mean, obviously a Sloane Stevens who makes a Roland Garros final, but even a Simona Halp who's just able to extend rallies and then eventually when your opponent s- sends in a short ball, able to use her speed quickness to take that ball a little bit earlier, of course course, you look for Coco Goff, all the doubles success. She was four of six in terms of net points One, She hit more swinging volleys than that. She was inside the court attacking Sloane Stevens more than that number would tend to indicate. And then again, she just wore Stevens down with that aggression throughout the course of the match, was able to wear uh, Elisa Mertens down in a similar way in the round of 16. And it's, yes, the forehand can be bigger, but on this slower surface, it's a little bit harder to attack it with a first serve. And outside of Iga Shvian, Contact. Trevisan doesn't have an overwhelming first serve. Yeah, the lefty can hit her spots well, but the Coco Goff backhand return is well suited for the Trevisan slice out wide. And I think Coco Goff has the sort of speed that she's going to be able to track down that Trevisan plus one forehand, extend rallies a little bit further. Again, Coco Goff can just do a little bit of everything. And when she's playing so confidently and freely, and she's definitely had some tight first sets, but once she gets those first set leads, what I've liked so much is how she's raised her aggressions in set two of each of her matches has started to move forward more frequently, hit the swinging volleys, take the forehand a little bit earlier and a bit more on the rise. And again, so fluid off of that backhand wing as well. The floor of Coco Goff continues to be raised higher and higher. You look for Goff 32 and 17 in her last 52 weeks, 19 and 10 this season. It's good, not great. Now, again, you look at the losses. There's not a single bad loss on the resume. She loses in three sets to Barty in Australia. Not a bad loss. Three sets to Keys in an Australia warm-up. Not a bad loss. Four and two loss to Wang Chung. You know, again, 
not the best loss, certainly, for her. But uh, in Australia, that's probably the one bad loss you have on the resume. Then Dubai, Pagula, not a bad loss. Doha, quarterfinal, Sakari, not a bad loss. Indian Wells, Halep, not a bad loss. Miami, Sviantec, obviously not a bad loss. I already mentioned the three clay court losses. Kasatkina, Halep, Sakari. She's got one bad loss on her resume this year. The rest, two top 15, 10 players on the season, but again, that's the only players who are beating Coco Goff. She's beating everyone else she's supposed to beat. And amidst all of the chaos, it's been Coco Goff that's been the steady force here at the 2022 French Open. Again, as the Sabalankas, Pliskovas, Sakaris, Conteves, Bedoses of the world have fallen, Goff has made the most of this opportunity. And she had a lot of pressure because those quarterfinal points were keeping her inside the top 30. Goff struggled at the end of last season. You look for her 2021, you know, makes the fourth round of Wimbledon quarterfinals Montreal but then second round exit Cincinnati second round exit US Open second round exit Indian Wells slowed down a bit towards the end of last season she's now defended all those points and one up them by making the first semifinal of her career at a Grand Slam in singles and again did it at the age of 18 excuse me that cannot be overemphasized how impressive that is and Look, she's the favorite in her matchup in the final against Trevisan. You look at the tennis abstract projection right now. Uh, Coco Goff, a 73.7% favorite over Trevisan. I mean, she has final uh, semifinals points now, so she won up last year. She has very little to—I mean, round of 16 Wimbledon points, but there are no Wimbledon points. So I suppose that's a significant thing coming off of her resume, but pretty much nothing to defend after that for the rest of the season. Coco Goff up to number 19 right now in the live rankings, four off her career high. She's 10 in the points race. And right now, there are five Americans in contention for the year-end finals. Pagula's third, Collins sixth. Key 7, Goff 10, Anisimova 12. We've talked about the resurgence of the American men. The American women are absolutely thriving right now. And Coco Goff is leading that charge, obviously. Uh, you look for her again, first semifinal for her uh, in her career in singles at a Grand Slam. Just a remarkable display. She's taken advantage of what's of the pathway that's been given to her. That's all you can ask of any player, particularly someone at 19 years old. But look, now she's going to face the surprise semifinalist, the Tamara Zdancic of this year's event in Martina Trevisan, who, worth reminding everyone, has made the quarterfinals of the French Open, did it back in 2020, beat Sakari, beat Burtons, beat Goff, actually, and Georgie before getting knocked out by the eventual champion Iga Sviantec in those quarterfinals. And look, it's now a 10-match win streak for Martina Trevisan, who won the warm-up event in Rabat, victories over Muguruza, Aranksa Roos, and Claire Liu uh, on her way to that uh, title. Obviously has only had to face one seed here, and the seed was Leila Fernandez, who unfortunately was banged up after the match of the tournament on the women's side, the three-set match she played against Amanda Anisimova. That was spectacular tennis, and Anisimova had her chances in early in the third set, had a couple of break points. Fernandez fought them off with exceptional on-the-rise plus-one shots, and that's what Fernandez had to do to change the tempo of this match in the second set. You know, Trevisan served for the match up 6-3-5-4. Goff, uh, excuse me, Fernandez able to get that break by taking some chances, taking some returns early on the rise, not allowing Trevisan 
Treveson to just swing freely with her forehand because Treveson, the lefty, just moves that forehand so well around the court. It's so heavy. She hits it exceptionally well on the slide down the line and will sneak that ball behind you before you know it. And just, again, the heaviness of the ball, the angle she's able to generate, it's just really hard to stop, recover, and go track down the next Treveson forehand, which she's going to move to the open space of the court. And again, Treveson's faced one seed. You know, she's beaten Dart, Lynette, Gavrilova, Sasnovich, and now Fernandez on her way to the semifinals. That is as ideal of a pathway as you can ask for if you're Treveson. It's also worth mentioning, Treveson came into this tournament with a career high ranking, number 59, and now the 27, uh, excuse me, 28-year-old, up to a new career high ranking of number 26 in the in the WTA rankings. Legitimately pulled the Tamara Zadancic now into the top 30, which at 28 years old is all you can ask for. And you look for Trevisan in her career, 21 and 17 in her last 52 weeks, 61 and 65 overall in her career in tour level events, 40 and 28 overall in her career on clay. She's proven she's a top 30 player on the clay courts, and that's all she's had to be because, again, the Sabalenkas was not on this half of the draw, but she fell. You know, Muguruza got knocked out early, and, you know, Krejcikova knocked out early, and Kontave knocked out early, and all of these seeds continued to fall. Trevisan's floor as a clay court player, how well she moves, how fluid she is in the outer thirds. Again, the backhand has good shape to it and is able to generate angle, which allows her to open up the forehand for herself. Her floor is top 30 player, 40 and 28 overall in her career. Now a second quarterfinal run, which gets to her to the semifinals, first semifinal at Grand Slam of her career. If Trevisan wins this slam, I will be shocked because, again, I do think she has – her ceiling is not as high as Goff or any of the players in the top half of the draw who I think each all uniquely with their physicality will be well-suited to handle and match up with Trevisan. I think now the matchups get much harder for her. Again, she moves the ball extraordinarily well, but when Fernandez started being more aggressive and when she was landing that aggression you know, and being the one dictating, Trevisan's a, a – very good mover. She's not an elite mover. And when you get her stretch, she will leave the ball short. And again, I think in Pagula, Kasatkina, Kudermat- uh, maybe less so Kudermatova, obviously Sviantek, and especially Goff, I think their backhands are all well-suited to match up with a Trevisan forehand when her forehand is being left sh- short in the court and when they are able to be aggressors. And if they're playing good tennis, I just think their ceiling is higher. Now, that's not exactly a hot take, but here's the thing. If they're leaving the ball short, if they're leaving the ball in the center third, win the inevitable nerves of playing in a Grand Slam semifinal or God willing final if you're a Trevisan fan, do set in. Trevisan's going to punish you. Again, she's so disciplined in how she attacks from the middle third of the court, and she's a deserving semifinalist. Again, two high floor players in Goff and Trevisan, who you just got to go out and beat. And the draw, you know, again, the ceiling of the players she's played that Goff has played, they haven't been able to do that. And half the battle is staying alive. And I'm not trying to say Trevisan's a push because she's not. Her lefty forehand is absolutely a weapon. And, you know, when she's connecting down the line, hitting the ball, behind Coco Goff. Goff will float her some slices that Trevisan is absolutely going to punish. Uh, but it, it's, again, I will be surprised if Trevisan ends up as the champion. Not shocked because nothing shocking on the WTA Tour anymore, but certainly surprised. Well, I will be shocked because I suppose if Trevisan does not win the tournament, that means Iga, or if does win the tournament, that means Iga Sviantek did not win the tournament. 
And with that in mind, let's move on to the number one seed. Now, when you look at Iga Sviantek, again, she's dropped just one set on her way to this uh, to this quarterfinal, another quarterfinal for her third consecutive year. She's done that at the French Open, I believe. Yeah, I think last year she lost in the quarterfinals to Maria Sakkari. That's correct. I mean, she's now won 32 consecutive matches, 41 in three, which is just laughably ridiculous here in 2022. She got pushed in her matchup against uh, Jung Chin Wen. And I mean, look, Sviantek was up 5-3. She served for the first set. She had a million opportunities throughout the course of the match. You look for Iga Sviantek, 7 of 14 on breakpoint chances. Two Jungs, 2 of 10. I mean, Sviantek overall in the match, 32 winners against 39 unforced errors. Now, ultimately, that was a winning margin compared to Jung, who committed 21 winner, hit 21 winners against 46 committed unforced errors. But of course, those unforced errors piled up in set number two in particular when her thigh was bothering her and she was just trying to end rallies a little bit earlier to try and sustain herself physically and get through the match and pace herself properly. But... The story is not the Iga Sviantek struggle because, of course, she did struggle. She was spraying, clearly. The unforced errors piled up in particular, and I just mentioned the number 39 unforced errors for her overall in the match. 21 of them came in the first of three sets, so she committed all of over half of them in one of the three sets that she ended up playing. You know, and it's a credit to Jung, who was stretching her, who was attacking the return of serve in particular, the second serve, and changing direction on Sviantek, doing a great job absorbing the first blow of Sviantek and responding with pace and depth of her own, that depth being uh, in particular more valuable. But there's also no denying there were some nerves. Like the Sviantek was committing unforced errors in a way that Carlos Alcaraz did on the men's side throughout the first two sets of his quarterfinal match against Alex Zverev. Here's the difference. Sviantek found a way to survive. And the physicality it takes to defeat even a struggling Iga Sviantek is so immense that respectfully, Jung Chin Wen just did not have that in her yet. And again, the key word there is yet because Jung Chin Wen is going to be a threat moving forward. And you look now for Jung Chin Wen, the uh, 19-year-old now up to a new career high of number 55 in the live rankings. We're going to see her at the 1,000 level events now in a minimum in qualifying. Certainly, she'll get her shots with the power she's able to produce, how fluid she is as a mover as well. And obviously, you look for her this season, you know, won a 60K and has qualified in Australia. Australia got to play main draws, Indian Wells, Miami, Charleston, now here in Roland Garros. The 19-year-old's getting her first look at tour-level play, and obviously to beat Halep, Cornet, uh, Zinevska, uh, and play Sviantek with the level she did, particularly in that first set, she can impose her will against just about any opponent. And, you know, again, as she develops physically, gets stronger in the legs, is able to get more pace and pick her spots better with the first serve, she has a well-rounded game. She was fluid in the outer third. She was comfortable swinging through the forehand and backhand wings down the line. Needs to get a little bit better, of course, moving forward as a volleyer, but creates opportunities for herself to move forward. Again, that first set result was a uh, a testament to the persistence of Chin Wenjung, who continued to put Sviantek in positions to feel pressure and be under stress and generate unforced errors to try and bail herself out and play a bit overly aggressive. And then Sviantek steadied the ship 
and despite some tough service games at the start of that second set, was able to get out to a three-love lead. And from there, obviously, the thigh began to bother Jung, but we saw Jung untape her uh, her thigh and, you know, get back into the match physically and, again, continue to push Sviantek in service game after service game. And yes, Sviantek was able to find answers. And again, drops just two games in sets number two and three despite being pushed. That's the sort of effort it takes to even get her to three sets. And even then, you only win two games in sets number two and three. Jung Chen-Wen played exceptional tennis. Iga is still your unequivocal favorite. And again, 32 consecutive wins. The history she's made, she's now winning over 90% of her matches on the season. Again, the history that joins as well to do that through a legitimate five months of tennis. History, history. I talk about, you know, again, Goff being 18 and Sviantek now at uh, 21 years old. I think she just turned 21 years old, 20 years old. No, just turned 21. Shout out to the first instinct as always. Um, at 21 years old, she is now ascending. She gets this Grand Slam. You're in the Sharapova category. You're in the Serena category. Now, has she done it at the rate that, uh, you know, Celis or Hingis were? No, but those are the two best 21 and under players in tennis history. And by the way, with the pace Iga Sviantek is on, she can elevate herself still to the Hingis category. That's the degree of success Sviantek has already had in her career to this point, but I think we're all looking at the next five to 10 years and just the pathway and the consistency and these sort of lumps for Shiantek dealing with this sort of pressure now, uh, it's immense uh, for her moving forward. And again, drops just two games, steadies the ship, insets two and three, able to advance, now is going to face, uh, you know, a Jessica Pagula who she'll have opportunities to attack the Pagula serve. And certainly, you know, again, from a firepower perspective, none of Pagula, Kudermatova, Kasatkina, you know, have the sort of firepower that Aniga Sviantek possesses. The matches are on her racket. Now, they can each match her physicality, but can they match her weaponry? Can they sustain that level of physicality while under the gun of Sviantek for the course of two and a half plus hours? My wager would be no. I still feel pretty comfortable in my pre-tournament pick of Iga Sviantek. I think we all still feel pretty comfortable, particularly given how the draw has broken up. Again, that round of 16 match tells me more about uh, Junction Wen than it does about any struggles with Iga. But look, the pressure's only going to increase because, again, the opponent she potentially faces now, whether it is a Pagula, then a Kasatkina or Kudermatova, then a Goff or a Trevisan, they are all going to push Iga physically. And you just look at the consistency of Jessica Pagula, who ultimately earns a 4-6, 6-2, 6-3 victory to escape her fourth-round match against Arena Camilla Bagu, has earned victories over Zidanezic, Kalnina, and Wang Chung uh, on her way to this quarterfinal run. I mentioned it at the top. You look for Jessica Pagula, 41 and 21 overall in her last 52 weeks of play. She's 19 and 7 at the Slams since August 2020. That includes three quarterfinal appearances in the last six Slams. She did it at Australian Open 2021, Australian Open 2022, now French Open 2022 as well. I mean, you look for Jessica Pagula, the consistency of her, her results here in 2022. She's 23 and 11 overall. That includes obviously the big run to the Madrid final, also semifinals in Miami, round of 16 in both Dubai and Doha. The only, you know, quarterfinals in Australia, round of 16 in Rome. The only early exit for her was in Indian Wells, three sets against Maria Buskova on a surface with the high bounces that will never suit the low line drive tennis of Jessica Pagula. 
that said, you would say the same probably about Red Clay until you watched her play this year. And what's the biggest difference for Jessica Pagula? It's how comfortable she looks as a mover, just the fluidity. She's now sliding into her ball, uh, in particular, uh, her shots, uh, sliding into her shots, in particular, her ball on the backhand wing. I mean, she hits that backhand defensively on the slide so exceptionally well. And, you know, she has no shame in throwing a moon ball at you to neutralize pace, neutralize the rally, get things back to even. And just, you know, again, then if you give her a sitter on that backhand wing, the drive she's able to produce, whether it be cross court, whether it be down the line. Again, I think she's better defensively on the forehand wing. I think when she gets aggressive, obviously she can be exceptional, but I think the forehand's the side that sprays on her more frequently. That said, you look for Jessica Pagula against Begu, 19 winners against 34 unforced errors, but she went 75% of her first serve points and, you know, was able to fight off four of the six break points she faced. Meanwhile, Jess Pagula has been a top 10 returner since the start of the 2021 season. She's four of six on break point chances. She was the steadier player in the home stretch of this match. Again, I mentioned the 34 unforced errors that she committed. 19 of those 34 unforced errors came in set number one. Sets two, sets three, she minimized those errors, was willing to grind, was willing to make the match physical. Again, her defensive moon ball is such an effective shot on this surface against 90% of players. Now, Iga's going to make her pay because if you give Iga time, she'll sit on that forehand. She'll throw something heavy in the outer thirds, whether it's the inside-out forehand, cross-court backhand, down the line, anything. You know, Iga's going to make you pay. If you give Iga, t- if you give her time, but again, you look at the draw for Pagula. She's faced the Kalninas of the world, the Zedantics of the world, the Begues of the world, players who are more susceptible to to being willing to play that grinding tennis and are going to give you that extra time. And you can't give Jessica Pagula extra time; she's going to make you pay. And again, the 28-year-old is third right now in the points race. If she somehow knocks off Pagula, uh, uh, knocks off Shviantek, she'll be number two in the points race right now. That's ridiculous. And Jessica Pagula is up to a new career high of number nine in the live rankings. And again, for the 28-year-old who got off to a slower start in her career, really wasn't a top 100 player until 2019, she's gone from that to top 10. And that's just a testament to her work ethic, her development, her consistency. Jessica Pagula played, again, she has been just another player in a tournament of chaos. The steady force, the high floor for her match in, match out. It's just really tough to beat her. you got to sustain your level for two and a half plus hours. No one in the draw has been able to do that. Now, again... She's going to have to be aggressive. She's going to have to take her return on the rise, which she's capable of doing, particularly on the backhand wing, find ways to impose her will against Iga. If she, again, the depth of her moon ball, if it's deep enough, if she's patient enough, if she can extend Iga physically, you know, again, maybe she can generate some errors the way we saw against Jung Chin Wen. But I do think that's a particularly tough matchup for Pagula. You look for these two players in their history, Jessica Pagula, again, against Iga Sviantek. They have played, uh, you look overall, uh, sorry, I just want to make sure I'm right here. You look overall, they've played once this year. Iga knocked her out two and five in the Miami. Miami semifinals in their career. They're one and one. Pagula win uh, in 2019 over Iga three sets in DC, one of the breakout tournaments for Jessica Pagula. So at least she's seen a victory. 
over Iga Svantec before that said clay court Iga a different beast uh, certainly you lean Iga and she's an 87.2% favorite according to tennis abstract but that's going to be a fun match because simply put Jessica Pegula is not an easy out and neither is Daria Kasatkina who earns a 2-2 two two victory over Camilla Georgie she's yet to drop a set and again the pathways to the quarterfinals I'll keep mentioning it Big picture, the inconsistency of the top 10 on the WTA Tour is absolutely a storyline. That a Sabalenka, that a Bedosa, I mean, Sabalenka was on the top half of the draw, but that she didn't break through, or a Bedosa, a Krachikova, a Kantave, a Sakari. I mean, it was wide open for all of those players. Now, I think Belinda Bencic, you know, again, she had a tough draw. I think she faced Amanda Nisimova, who's who knocked her out. And Nisimova versus Fernandez was an exceptional match, and it sapped all the physicality out of Fernandez. I think there was more semblance of good performances in the top, in the bottom half than we're letting on. You know, again, Anisimova's a top 12 player right now in the points race, despite what the seeding may say. That said, it's these high floor players, Kasatkina, who's just limiting her unforced errors, moving the ball around the court so consistently. She's into the quarterfinals of the French Open for the second time in her career. And you look for Kasatkina, 42 and 21 in her last 52, 69 and 36 since play resumed in August of 2020. If you're winning two-thirds of your matches, you're going to continue to move up the rankings. And she's gone from outside the top 50 up to number 17 in the live rankings. Kasatkina right now uh, currently ninth in the points race. It's justifiable. You look for Kasakina. You have to be really good to beat her. You look at who the losses are to. Jabour in three sets in the Rome semifinals. Jabour in straight sets in Stuttgart. Sviantec in Doha. Dubai, Australia. Bedosa in Sydney. Six losses. Six of her, what? You look for her overall on the year. She's 22 and 10. Six of her 10 losses are to top 10 players. The other losses, you know, Cerebez, Tormo, three sets, Madrid. That's just a good match. Sasnovich, Kerber, and India. Ian Wells in Miami was her one bad stretch, but guess what? That's why she's top 20, not top 10, because she does have that a, a two-week blip on what has otherwise been an exceptional season, and for her, it's the whip on her forehand. That ball rips through the court, and the angle she's able to generate, she then can flatten it wide. She moves the ball extraordinarily well with the backhand, can mix in the drop shots, slides into her shots, just comfortable at just about everything, and again, her floor match in, match out, she's proven it over now two years, or a year and nine months. It's just physically really difficult to knock her out. You know, Georgie, Rogers, they didn't have the consistency in rounds three and four. And I mean, look, she's going to take on a Veronica Kudermatova, who's been a slightly lesser version. Kudermatova, 29 and 23 in her last 52 weeks, but 62 and 41, 60% win percentage since August 2020. First Grand Slam quarterfinal for Kudermatova, who look in the live rankings right now. She's at number 24, but one more victory will get her up to a new career high and a first time in the top 20 of the WTA rankings. I mean, this is a fascinating matchup. And you look in the career head-to-head for these two players. Kasakina beat Kudermatova in St. Petersburg in three sets earlier this season. Uh, That's the only time these two have played. 
It's going to be a fun one. Again, when Kudermaturva serves well, she's able to create free points, but Kasatkina put so many returns in play, and you look right now, again, return percentage on the season. Kasatkina currently 20, uh, excuse me, currently 18th in break percentage on the year. Oh, no, that's incorrect. Excuse me. You look for Kasatkina in terms of break percentage on the season. I was going to say that sounded a little low. It is because she's fifth in break percentage uh, here in the 2022 season. I mean, again, does Kudermaturva, it, it's, it's the big server in Kudermatova, who you look right now, hold percentage on the year. Kudermatova currently ninth versus the fifth in break percentage. Strength on strength. This Kudermatova serve versus the returnability of Kasatkina. If it was on a faster service, you lean towards the server. It's on a slower surface, you lean towards Kasatkina. I think the match goes three sets, but again, I think it's going to be a physical battle. I'll take Kasatkina to advance to the semifinals. That said, again, Big picture, upsets galore uh, at, for the second consecutive season. You have Bedosa knocked out in round three, Sakari round two, Collins round two, Conteve round one, Halep round two, excuse me, Ostapenko round two. It, it, it's been puzzling. There's no denying that. Certainly, this felt like a wide-open opportunity, particularly given the health issues of number two seed Barbara Krachikova and your defending champion in Krachikova. And yet... No one took the opportunity to grab it. And perhaps that's a good thing because it gives players like a Pagula, like a Kasatkina, Kudermatova, obviously a Coco Goff, the opportunity to further build their confidence and continues to, you know, with their confidence, they'll continue to be in the mix at the big events, giving more players, you know, feel making us feel like there are more players with bites at the apple at the start of every event. There's two ways of looking at it. It is a loaded era in terms of depth right now in the WTA Tour. A top 50 player has never had to be better to be a top 50 player. At the same time, there's a clear-cut number one. It's Iga Svantec, and everyone else is chasing her, and it's not particularly close right now. The biggest enemy, the biggest reason Iga Svantec will not win this Grand Slam is because Iga Svantec does not play well. Iga Svantec, you know, again, this, this tournament is on Iga Svantec's racket. That said, the floor of the players who are remaining, the Trevisans, Goffs, Pagula, Kasakina, Kunermatovas, if Iga has an off day, they are all the sort of players who could capitalize on that fact. And that's why these final few days are going to be fascinating in the women's singles draw of the 2022 French Open. But again, that's where things stand right now. And look, I know we have not done a good enough job of covering the women's singles event. Rest assured, we are going to make up for that fact. I'm going to get on some of our experts, the Davids, Kane, and Gertler, to discuss the women's event in particular. But look, big picture at the French Open, some of our takeaways. And then, obviously, we have that four-week sprint uh, before we all have to turn our attention to Wimbledon, or do we have to turn our attention to Wimbledon? I'm not ready to talk about all things Wimbledon right now. So uh, for now, we'll leave things at the 2022 French Open. Of course, if you are looking for more coverage of the year's second Grand Slam, head on over to our website, crackrackets.com. We've broken down the men's event in a separate podcast here on Tuesday. You can find that on the website or wherever you listen to your mini break podcast feed. Of course, if you need the more immediate 
immediate updates throughout the day. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job we, he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible, not just the podcast. We're so excited to be broadcasting the 2022 SoCal Pro Series. Six ITF events over the course of seven weeks. You're going to see that Nexus, juniors, college players, ascending pros, all competing to establish themselves on the Pro Tour. We're so excited to be able to highlight that level of play. We hope all of you tune in to that action over the course of the next seven weeks as well. But with all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, who, by the way, tennis-point.com, the promo code is CR15. And from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.